I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost of Words Betting Podcast. We're back tonight, myself and Bradley Todd. Brad, hello. Good evening, Tom. Good to be back. You're right. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, nice week off uh, last week. Good to recharge the batteries. Um, in the end, as much as I love the Dunhill Links, I'm pretty glad that I missed it um, based on all the kind of carnage that was there. Um, I guess just to kind of programming sort of serious note before um going on a lot of people that, that listen to this podcast will probably listen to the other one that i do with with matt on the drafting show um unfortunately that show will be kind of paused for a little while matt tragically lost his dad uh, really unexpectedly on sunday night so um just want you know our thoughts to go out to matt and the family mm-hmm. um you know difficult time especially when it's so sudden so unexpected we just want to give Matt as much time as possible to to kind of deal with that. And we don't want to rush him back. And as much as I'm sure he'll be interested to talk golf as soon as possible, he he deserves all the time he needs. So um, just want to send all our thoughts to Matt on that. And, and that show will just be on pause until he's ready to come back. Uh, have no real desire to do that without him. Deeply um, sad news. I just want to yeah. say myself, I'm so sorry to hear that, Matt. Like, yeah. Dreadful. And uh, yeah, my condolences come out, go out to you and your family, mate. I think, you know, we'll start with that and, and you know, acknowledge something that's happened to our team. I, th- I like to think of us as a team um, on the mm-hmm. Lost podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, Ryder Cup, Brad, I was away. For, you were in Vegas, yeah, living it I was, up. Yeah, I was in Vegas, so I didn't see as much of it as I would have done if I was over here. But <clears throat> I probably could have watched more of it if it wasn't for the fact that after I guess Saturday's morning session, especially when Aberg and uh, Hovland won nine and seven, I think it was kind of one of those. It felt like a bit of a non-event. I know obviously they, yeah, kind of brought it back Saturday afternoon um, in the four balls. Eventually, Sam Burns was played in the right format um, and with a different partner, and, and they kind of came back and I think it was Homer and Harmon played well together. But I think. One, it was a shame that it wasn't closer. Um, as much as I love the fact that, that Europe won and Europe dominated, um, we suspected that they could play really well. And if the top three or four players for Europe were played well and, and a lot and paired up in the right way, that we were pretty confident they could do something like that. Um, I don't think any of us really imagined how bad the US team would be, Brad. Like, no. is that is that more to do with Zach Johnson's captaincy on the week? Is it the team that he picked? What, what do you think was the most overriding uh, issue? Well, I think, well, I think Rose coming out and saying, you know, a good partnership um, isn't just, you know, that good foursomes isn't just to do with like, being with your best mate. It was, it was a, yeah. a good statement in itself. You know, there's, it's, there's a lot more to it. I think, um, I think Zach could have been a lot stronger as a captain, possibly. Um, but, you know, I think you can't take much away from Donald and how much work and his team did behind the scenes to get everyone ready and geared up. And I think that showed, like, we got off to a really strong start. And I think we looked in control for the most part up until, obviously, the final day where it got a little bit squeaky coming down the stretch. And I just, 
I feel as though the, the big match was obviously Fleetwood holding off Fowler, who really couldn't get anything going all week, but that felt important. And obviously even Rahm coming back to get the the half against uh, yeah. Scheffler. I mean, there's a little bit of a revenge story there from obviously last time and i think he uh he got off to a bit of a i think we're all, i think our best players all showed up Actually, i think most of the team showed up of course but i think when we needed rory um ram hovland all to step up and they did and ultimately um i thought that brought everyone you know that gave everyone else a different gear to do the same thing um and yeah i think that rubbed off and yeah i think we were worthy winners in the end yeah, I think, look, as much as we can sit here and criticise Zach Johnson, I think it was more like a lot of people are going back about the picks and how it was Sam Burns and Justin Thomas and it should have been, you know, Cam Young and Bryson or whatever. Like, I think there is definitely a case that they could have still won with the team they had there. I think it was a really bizarre decision, as you kind of alluded to, with playing Scheffler and Burns together in foursomes. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked on this podcast about oh, yeah. how Sam Burns. I was, I was so heavy, Brian yeah. Armand, Scheffler. Like, yeah. <laughs> and and Burns it was just purely, we thought, a formal player. Like, it made no yeah. sense to him in foursomes. Um, we were very heavy on Max Homer, so as a podcast. So did, I, yeah, I forgot to mention that he come through for us. Uh, podcast, yeah. yeah, I felt like we kind of identified it pretty well. I, I, I wasn't 100% convinced that he would get all the pairings right, Donald, like he did. But for the most part, they were great. I was really glad that he played Rory in the way that he did um, mm-hmm. with the partners that he did. I think it was like 10 to and one. I think Rory, Rahm and Hovland went. So they really set up when they needed to. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we needed. We needed to avoid that kind of <clears throat> approach that we've had in the past of, you know, giving everybody a game and, and they still managed to do it, but like they did lean on, on Rory, Rahm and Victor. And that obviously helps by getting off to a fast start with all of them. But yeah, I just, I just felt like we played it right this time. And I, I think no matter what the US would have thrown them in the end, like this probably would have been the same result. But it was just it was just weird management. Like I couldn't I couldn't work out. I, I picked Homer on the on the basis that I thought he was gonna partner with like Moral Carroll week and he didn't play with him once. Yeah. It was Oh I know. Yeah, really weird. yeah, like Thomas and Spieth was just it wasn't working, so why persevere with it? Just because they like each other, like the whole. This is it. That's where we go back to the, the yeah. whole Rose thing. That's where it's like, like you've got to split them up. Yeah, Cantlay, like just all that story coming out, which I don't know. I yeah. Agree with that coming out. Like I just, it was a weird, weird kind of week in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. It obviously pumped him up in the end, and and it got the US guys uh, sort of gathering around the green, but. It, it like it just spoiled a little bit of it, like Rory going off in the car park and all those sort of things. It just overshadowed it a little bit when really like, there was a story yeah. about Canley wanting to get paid and all this sort of stuff. Like I don't really care whether he wants to get paid or not, and I don't really care about the story coming out. Like mm-hmm. it's purely an event that we look forward to as an exhibition. So uh, yeah. it's weird that those comments come out, but overall, look, like really positive uh, for Europe in in the sense that it was great for Aberg, I think in particular to kind of get the chance to step Brilliant. up. Yeah. Cup. He played phenomenally last week, a week after his first Ryder Cup. He really did. And then you see what Fitzpatrick has, uh, yeah. has done yeah. as well. I thought there'd be like a little bit of a uh, hangover as such. I think a lot of people expected, but yeah. I suppose Fleetwood showed that. Whereas uh, Fitzpatrick just got straight to it. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, I think there was a point where it looked like Fitzpatrick could blow it. And that's been the kind of mm. thing with recent events. And 
I don't know what would have happened if he'd had to play all four rounds. Like, yeah, yeah. Know, there's always an asterisk next to it when that happens. But well, uh, this is when I was I was on uh, Southgate, and after the start he got off to, I was like, bloody, hell, we might have a chance here, you know. Especially this is the type of thing where it could suit him. Somebody's always struggled to get over the line uh, at an event, finishing three rounds, yeah. post a low score. It could be his way of getting over the line, and um, but yeah, he, he faltered down the back nine, and he just uh, he, he he birdied the last, but yeah, he, he couldn't really maintain his momentum. But yeah, good effort from him. Yeah, I had like Grant Forrest and Nick Backham in the kind of mix going into what was eventually the final day, and unfortunately, just both had to play Carnoustie on the final day, and that's just not uh, great. Well, it's, uh, you say that, but there was there was quite a lot of players scoring on that course. True. It was just. It was a it funny was, one. I thought that, and then obviously yeah. Armitage and um, a few others just going yeah. eight under, seven under. But I it just looked like because the visuals from the actual golf course, like mm. the like the puddles that were there, I just, I just felt like there was obviously scorable, but by the same token, if you just got the bad breaks, yeah. were obviously there that like, of course you're going to get relief from it, but the kind oh, of man. mental strength. Yeah. Either. Definitely. Oh, I just remembered. I was, I was, because there wasn't much footage till like later on yeah. in the round. Um, so then I was like watching on uh, Bet365 the um, the shot tracker, and I was on Horseshoe as well. And it, the amount of five footers, seven footers, eight footers, mainly under five footers that he was missing was just criminal. I, I can't. So no, it was he he'd been putting pretty well up until then, and it was just painful he could have got himself right in there if he had a good one of his good putting days but yeah it wasn't to be yeah like you say like Armitage, Colesarts, Wallace all six under there, Vanamaki and Pavon five under so Forrest shooting one under was you know yeah I think Van Drill's shot eight under yeah yeah so it's just it was a it was a weird event I'd kind of lost interest in by the time it got to the Monday uh was yeah on the Monday morning so what do you i guess this is a good segue into this week like what do you take from that do you worry too much about the knock-on effect it's going to have i guess if you do worry too much you're going to rule out a lot of players i guess uh, not not no because i think it's the same for most um only the people that might have withdrew right but then they're not really playing that well so <laughs> to yeah. withdraw. so i don't think i'm taking too much into account if anything if they finish with a strong round on the um on the Monday, then I, I like the look of that, that they, they don't have to wait too much long to get started into uh, another event, you know, so I can look at it as a positive in some aspects, but yeah, maybe the likes of like an Andy Sullivan or an Otaigi who hasn't been playing might think, oh, well, we didn't have to do with all that carnage last week and they might see it as an advantage. So Yeah, it's really, really tough to guess. I mean, look like, some, like to your point, like someone like Sebastian Soderbergh shooting 10 on the bar, um, not a bad way to prep for you could effectively call it a practice round for this week, couldn't you? Although it's yeah. a you know, completely different type of test. I mean, he went 64, 75, 62, so it wasn't a bad week for him. Um, but yeah, I think obviously just different tests now. What what do you... Obviously, John Rahm's in this field and he's he's mm. nine to four, um, which actually is bigger than, than, than maybe I expected. I thought it'd just be two to one across the board. Um, what do you make of this course and event? I mean, we've we've seen now what we've had in like three years it's been here now, or three years mm-hmm. in recent memories. Obviously, went back to like 2000s and things like that. But like yeah. 19, 21, and 22 has been pretty consistent. And the one thing I kind of noticed straight away is that you've got a lot of repeat performers in just three years. 
You do, yes. Um, I actually think, uh, because obviously they score, they always score quite well on this course, but actually by the look at it, it's actually, it's pretty quirky and um, quite tough in, um, in some much by the eye, it looks tough. I mean, the the fairways are quite narrow. Um, The greens are quite small. There's elevation changes. So, but to be honest, I think what, that isn't very penal off the tee. So I think that's where you might see, the big hitters they might just be in the rough and it isn't as long as they're not that wayward then I think they're all right but yeah it's a it's quite a short course I think you've got to make the most of the par fives um and we have seen um players who are strong off the tee do well here like over the years um so yeah I think um like shots gained off the tee is pretty big um but it's again tree lined so if you're not, if you are, if you are missing it big time right or big time left, then you're going to be in trouble. Lots of dog legs. Um, so yeah, I think, like I said, it should. I feel like it should be harder than it is. But then Ram always comes over and takes the piss out of it every, each and every year. So um, yeah, I like it though. I think it's a nice course. Yeah, and there's always this kind of talk about the kind of uh, altitude and that sort of stuff is is an interesting quirk to it at, at Club de Campo Via, um, but. As we say, we've we've had three recent events here, and it's been John Rahm, Rafa Cabrera Bello, John Rahm. And it's it's actually been Rahm beating Cabrera Bello, Cabrera beating Cabrera Bello beating uh, House, and then Rahm beating Pavon. So very much a Spanish contingent. Yeah, it's been Spanish and French and kind of that sort of mix. So um, I guess interestingly, I don't think either of us have gone Spanish uh, this week, but. It does seem to have served the, the home contingent oh, well yeah. in recent years. They're, quite a, they're very passionate as well, aren't they? Yeah. Spanish. I think they're the type that will, they always want to show up on home. Well, tour. it speaks volumes that Rahm's here, right? Like, I, I know Rose is here as well, but yeah. other than that, like, that's it. Like, it's not. Well, he takes inspiration from Seve by doing yeah. that, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. Um, but we, we've avoided Ram and Rose between the two of us, and we've actually landed on the same. Mm. Although now I'm a little bit worried about Rose, to be honest, after the fits. Is he going to be a Fleetwood or is he going to be a Fitz? Is he yeah. going to come out all hot? And But then again, I just I don't know. And I think it's too much of a guessing game with him. Like I think it could be a good course for him on paper. Um, and of course, he's one of the one of maybe two or three players that you'd fancy to go like, his chances to go and beat Ram if he was up against him, you know, he fancies chances. So yeah. I, he's he is interesting, um, but I think it's more of a guessing game with him at fourteen to one, and I don't like that. So I'm just going to leave him and hope he plays badly. Yeah, I guess like the the sentiment that he's that much bigger than Ram is a positive in the sense that he's what you know like however many points bigger, 12 points bigger than, than Ram, um, yeah. is a big stark difference for two players of a high quality. But Rose's form has just been two in and out. Like, I've tried to back him quite a lot this season. It's just not really worked out for me. And as you say, 14 to 1, he, he's, you've got to feel very, very confident, even even in a kind of limited field. So I'm, I'm yeah. out on him as well. Um, so we both land on Yannick Paul to start mm-hmm. off with. Um very simply put, for me, like I, I didn't go too much into it. Uh, Yannick Paul finished eighth here last year on debut. After opening him around a 70, he went 66, 68, 66, which was a really positive kind of finish 
and showed signs really that once he kind of figured out how to play it the first time, he, he followed that really quickly. And and his current form is is great. I think he gave a decent account of himself trying to hold on to that Ryder Cup spot. He didn't, mm-hmm. but finished eighth at the British Masters, tenth at the Czech Masters, twentieth um, at Crown Sorcier, where he obviously had a chance to to do better. He was seventh after round one. Went on a little bit of a low, I think, after he didn't get into the team, but very quickly bounced back. Third at the halfway stage in France, finishing sixth overall, and then bounces back again with another 14th place finish at Dunhill Links, where I hasten to think that he probably would have done even better if, if it had gone four rounds. So very simple for me with Paul in the sense that I think he's still got plenty to offer. We still don't quite know what his ceiling is. That's um, it, yeah. And he's 25 to 1, which I think is a pretty consistent price for him um, in a field where once you get past the first two, it, it's relatively... I think it's I think it's decent. I think it's a decent event where you've got all these kind of middling DP World Tour players, but of the mm-hmm. very elite, it's it's very, you know, short. And I think in 25 to 1, he's, he's decent enough value. Yeah, no, I, I literally echo all of that. Um, and I've, as you said, I think his response to not being in the Ryder Cup team, Ryder Cup team, has been pretty good. And do you know what? He probably wouldn't have let us down, in all honesty. Um, and I, again, like his his form um, in Spain was another eye-catching yeah uh, um, thing for me. Like his uh, obviously his his one and only DP World Tour title came at the Mallorca Open, um, top 10 at the IPS uh, Handa Championship, uh, 21st at Valderrama, which, I mean, I quite like Valderrama um, as a correlation uh, for this course. I mean, obviously, it's a lot tougher, um, but still you have the elevation changes and the tree-lined and small greens, um, but, yeah, obviously extremely tougher, but there is some correlation there i think um so yeah he's had that 21st at valderrama which was on his debut which is always good because we know that's a tough course to crack um and then eighth and a runner-up at challenge tour level so yeah he seems to uh like it in spain um and yeah as as you said um i i i do feel like he could be one of the few players that might feel like he's got the cojones to take down ram i know we said it about rose but maybe Maybe Yannick might be like, this could be a big statement if I could go and beat Ram on home soil. So, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I think Some, he's the best priced at the top. Yeah, something of a late bloomer, I guess, with Paul. And look, you're, I think Loudson looks really short of 30 to one. And this is a guy that's won five or six times versus Paul that's still only won <laughs> once at the moment. But he hasn't been around that long. Like, he only turned pro in 2018. Like, he, he's actually a really late bloomer in terms of like, you yeah. know, 29, and he was like 24 when he turned pro, and he's only mm-hmm. been on tour since like 2020, so or 2021. I remember, so. I remember betting him on the Outlaw tour. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> during COVID, like, uh, he, and then journey with Yannick. And as you said, with that runner-up finish in on the Challenge Tour, was in the Challenge Tour Grand Final. Like it's the biggest event that he can play mm-hmm. in at that level. Um, he finishes yeah. second by one stroke. So, um, yeah, plenty of. Plenty of positives from him uh, from a Spanish standpoint as well. Um, next up for me, someone that's coming down in price. I, I put these out yesterday because on Twitter because I was pretty confident that a lot of these players were shorting up. Um, but Henny Duplessis is still 50 to 1 in a place with six places. I think you can get 45 to 1 with the eight places on Bet365 as well. Um, but Duplessis has just been 
he's been really good for a long period of time now. It feels like every podcast I've kind of mentioned about potentially playing him and then not done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is just the time where I, I'm finally going to crack. Like I think we were waiting for him to to really put a, a big effort in. He had that sixth on the Sunshine Tour and that was about it. Like everything else was a little bit middling. He had good sort of stats, but nothing to really back it up. And then he shot that 64 at Wentworth over the weekend, finished 10th there. Um, and then last week, 14th place, two 67s uh, at the Dunhill Links. Again, probably not putting the four rounds together that you'd hope him to. But when you look back at how he played at his golf course uh, last year, he finished eighth, uh, which is really impressive. Uh, debut obviously is third at the halfway uh, mark with 65-66. So for me, the way that Duplessis has been playing for a sustained period of time now, his ball striking has been good. Um, 13th in the field over the last 15 weeks uh, on tour tips for strokes gain approach and um, the first in tee screen overall. Like He's just been unbelievable three times inside the top six over his last seven or eight starts. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> he just looks the type of player, Brad, that is going to finally kind of get the yeah, rule for the same period of play. Definitely, yeah. A little bit like a high set sooner. You feel like it's just, just going to come. There's only so much you can sort of play well and then you feel like all right he's got to come through at some point and he just feels he feels ready to win um he's been obviously on the top of leaderboards for the last like two years now um and yeah again another player with a a ridiculously good record in spain um three dp world tour events in spain third sixth and eighth um then his uh three three events in on the challenge tour 18th fifth and 39th so yeah, another player who just loves the old Espanol. So, yeah, um, I wonder, I wonder what that is. Like, I don't know if it, I think South Africans no, have It's just something to add. Like, obviously, you look yeah. at a lot more than that, but it's a nice, it's some, sometimes there's a, some players, they get, a, they have a feel, don't they, when they get down there. I don't know. It's all vibes. But. Well, and also, like, when you look at those events that you, you reference, like, even on his Wikipedia page, like, when they reference his 2022 season, um, he, he finished third at the ISPS hander behind Pablo de Rafabal, so another Spaniard, and then sixth at the Catalonia Championship with Adriano winning. And both of those are two or three strokes behind. So mm-hmm. not only is he playing well in Spain, but he's losing to Spanish players. So it's yeah. it's almost yeah. like he, he's destined to play really well in this part of the world. Um, mm-hmm. that I, I think he, he was one of those players that took a little while to come back after being on live for a little bit. Um, but he's here yeah. now. He's, he's playing solidly. So I think that time is going to come uh, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, first pick for, we'll go with first two picks, I guess, for um, Jason this week. He has he has put a Spaniard on his card, and that's uh, Adrianos. Uh, best price, 55 to 1 with six places, generally 50 to 1. Um, he's also gone with Antoine Rosner. So, again, that kind of French-Spanish uh, one two is, is a good look for him there. Um, any thoughts on those two players in particular? No, not 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 really for me. No, mate. No, I, I it was it was weird because I've kind of given up on Rosner. Like I had a little run where I was really interested in him, but um, yeah, like Arnaus, I guess is one of those ones where the course for. Sorry, Arnaus, I like Arnaus, I like, but yeah, Ros Rosner. Um, is someone that I've had my fingers burnt um, quite a few times um, in the past few weeks. So, yeah, I've sort of, uh, I've got, I've had to uh, say no to him. 
Yeah, I think I think Vivar now like fourth and second in the golf course and sixty four round one last week to lead and sixty seven on the well, final day. Like exactly that. Yeah, good and stuff. He, he finished strong as well, didn't he, last week, yeah. which is good. Yeah, so look, I completely understand the Arna sentiment from Jason. I couldn't get on board with the Rosner thing, but uh, I'm sure he would have talked to us out of that if uh, if he was here. Uh, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> next up for you, Connor Syme, who someone I've been on a lot recently, um, mm. and actually it's tough to leave him out here. Uh, what is your reasoning for going with him again at this golf course? Um, so, yeah, I feel like this is another Henny Duplessis sort of situation. Yeah. He's sort of uh, been threatening to break for Rosny for most of his DP World Tour career. And he had that four, them four top tens in a row, uh, fourth at Galgon Castle, third at Crown, seventh at Irish Open and tenth at Wentworth. I wasn't on him either one of them weeks. Um, I don't know why. I was just like, I'm not riding uh, with Conor Syme in weeks, whatever reason. Um, but yeah, since then he's missed the cut at the French Open and finished 37th last week at the Dunhill Links. Um, and yeah, he got he got better throughout the event. He closed with a round of 66. Um, but yeah, he played at this course uh, a couple of years ago. He finished 34th, but he he actually played a lot better than that. He only he had one poor round, which came on moving day 73, um, which ultimately cost him. Um, but yeah, carded three rounds in the 60s. Close of 65 to finish, that, that's really good. Um, it's a good indicator, obviously, it's a, a good course fit for him. Um, and he has a decent record at Crans, a top 10 at Valderrama, which also boosts his claim with me. Um, and yeah, I just, I like the price. Um, I hopefully Ram doesn't show up. Um, I was gonna take him oh, Monday night. I, I had my plan to take him um, in the without the Ram. Loughton, um, Paul and Rose market 50 to one. You could have got him in that market with Betfred and Boyle Sports. Then the next morning, that price had been cut to 40 to one. I think that's a really good market to take, Connor Syme, someone that struggles to get over the line. Um, I ended up taking him um, not in that market anymore. I think I took 60 to one. But yeah, he's come in at 50s now, uh, to 50s now, which I think is certainly fine. You can get 55 to one with Betfred. But yeah, as I said, like, I think he's due to break through at any point as he's threatened. And it's just about whether Ram, if he shows up or not this week, but he could have a chance. Yep, absolutely agree. Um, another player that I think he's not quite in the same mould and he has already kind of broken through, I guess, with um, you know his Scottish counterpart is Grant Forrest, who mm-hmm. for me... He won that Hero Open back in 2021. He previously not even won on the Challenge Tour, so that was kind of a big step up for him. He beat James Morrison, who was obviously a really um, experienced golfer that week. So I always like that. That kind of sticks into my mind um, a little bit. He had a chance to win the Irish Open before that, um, but he was actually like poor over the final two holes and finished fourth. I just think I like the fact that he very quickly learned from it. And you look at that same season, he finished third uh, in this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he was actually opening and closing rounds of 65 um, and middling rounds of 67 70. So you look at what Grant Forrest does at his best. It was a win and a couple of really good results, where, one where he contended for the title and, and probably should have won. And you just look at his recent form, like he was um, 30th at the Maiden Himalayan, but he was 20th going into the final round, had a third round 66. 
He was 11th at the Scottish Open with uh, second round 65 being the highlight in a really strong Scottish Open field, as we know. Yep. 27th again at the ISPS Hander after a, a long break. Third at the Irish Open, again, pretty positive. Has this spell of two missed cuts at, at Wentworth um, in France and then comes right back, finishes 10th at the Dunhill Links last week. But as I said, he was actually second going into the into the final round before um, not getting it done at Carlton Usti like the others did. So um, it'd be interesting to see what would have happened if it had gone through yeah. four rounds. It'd be interesting to see what would have happened if you know, everyone was kind of playing in the same conditions, etc. I'm going to stick with him. I, I just I just think he's worth sticking with. Um, mm-hmm. I like what he'd done here a couple of years ago. I think he's back to whatever his best is. And I think we're still yet to find out quite quite the very best but i think he's, he's approaching that and say seventh tee to green last week fifth um in approach 15th in approach sorry like mm-hmm. i just love what grant forest is doing at the moment i felt very strongly about someone like david law earlier in this season uh that didn't really transpire but i then went to sign me and now it's grant forest it's obviously some sort of Scottish <laughs> apologist that i'm doing but um one of them's got to break through eventually uh I just by law of averages it would probably be callum no doubt it'd be, Ca- no doubt it'd be callum hill wouldn't it <laughs> yeah so after all of this kind of mentioning it would be callum hill or it could be jason's uh third selection which would be um ewan ferguson so yeah mm-hmm. I, I think it's i think it's one of those ones um that he loves you and Ferguson. I don't think there's really much else to say on oh, that. Yeah. I, I really like you and Ferguson as well. I was on him last week. Yeah. yeah. Massive season. Hasn't hasn't played here, has he? So we don't know necessarily what no he's going to bring here, but he's great and he's always yeah. going to get his kind of supporters at sixty six to one. So I definitely so, yeah. get that. Um, my next pick and only one of two remaining. Uh, is Jeff Winter, who's come down now. He was 125 to 1 on a tweet. He's now 100 to 1, um, which I still think is fine. Like, after what can only be described as an absolutely terrible season, he's suddenly found some really solid form. He was 8th at the British Masters, basically out of nowhere, finishes 24th at the Maiden Himalayan final round 64. Uh, then was 20th going into the final round of the Czech Masters, finished 50th. Misses three cuts in a row and you think, okay, we're back to the Jeff Winter that has been around for most of the season. Then he finishes second at the Open to France with a final round 65. Then a final round 65 last week makes him finish 10th at the Alfred Dunhill Links. And then when you go and look at his course form, uh, he's got a fourth on debut. So Mm. for me, Jeff Winter is just like, and again, like we're talking about those final rounds, final round 63 here on debut. He, He just seems to sneak up into that those kind of paydays so yeah as you know tom as you know how close (laughs) i was to jeff winter this week uh i really like him i really like i think he's a really good price at 100 to 1 if you can get that or even at 80 to 1 i think it's a brilliant price 66 even um yeah the way he's playing and yeah obviously his form in spain and at this course it's like it's a no-brainer i really i kind of but yeah, I didn't get there, but I'm talking myself. I think, I think it's one of those that you can't back them all, and this is an event where... No, you really can't. You really can't. To, it's really tempting, isn't it, to go and scatter approach. Yeah. I, I picked out five yesterday, which is one more than I normally like to, and I still mm. felt like I could have picked three, four, five more. So, um, 
Which, when you're backing them at these kind of bigger prices, you can afford well, to. I think when you, yeah, you sometimes think with Ram, Ram as well, you might you think, oh, I might be playing for places. So. Yeah, like I think it's definitely frowned upon to go beyond kind of five or six picks, but mm. some, in these kind of fields, I don't necessarily mind it. As long as... I think if you've got a player, few long shots in there, yeah. it's okay. Like every, as long as every player is profitable, like returns to you, then um, you just you just be left to get on with what you want to do. So um, both me and Jason are on Jeff Windsor. He... I'm sure just echoes kind of what I've said about him there. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love what he's been doing. Um, Jason's idea was to, to basically go all without John Rahm. Um, yeah. I think he actually, I've mentioned that he was on Arnaus. I think he's actually decided against that. So it's, it's yeah. Rosner, Ferguson and Winter all without Rahm and then top 10s and top 20s on them both as well. Um but yeah, when when he when he talked about winter, he said he, he looks massive. He's got form here. He he won Mallorca by beating two locals and loads of birds last week. So yeah, he he basically backed up everything we kind of said about Jeff Winter there. Mm-hmm. My final pick again is it's Scottish and this wasn't actually intentional. Uh, <laughs> Mark Warren. I just uh, yeah. I don't know what it is about Mark Warren. I I have a friend who used to back Mark Warren an awful lot. Um, and I, I never really got it. Like I never really understood why he liked Mark Warren so much. But that's random, isn't it? Yeah, he he did deliver for a decent period of time, I guess. Um, he was the type of person that you could kind of rely on for a place, and and he got over the line a couple of times. But again, a little bit like Winter, he just showed some form out of nowhere. Fourth at the Maiden Himland event, twentieth um, at the ISPS Hander Invitational, thirty-first uh, at the Czech Masters, but he was nineteenth after the halfway mark. Um, 16th last round one at the Open de France, another good round on Saturday, 69, and then finishes 25th last week at Dunhill Links with a final round 64. Now, you could argue like a final round 64 when there was very little to kind of play for and, and it was all kind of reduced mm-hmm. is is something to maybe a bit wary of. But when you actually dive into Mark Warren, ninth and eighth here over the last two years at this golf course, yeah. um, the ninth being with the rounds of 66, 67, 69, 67, and in the eighth being two middle rounds of 65. For a player that hasn't been at his best for a long time, to have those back-to-back top 10 finishes on this golf course says an awful lot. Um, mm-hmm. And as I kind of mentioned at the top of here, like there's been repeat performances by a lot of people. I mean, Rahm's obviously won two out of the three starts here. That's John Rahm, so it's hard to kind of quantify. But you look at Paul Waring, 6th and 27th. You look at Xander Lombard, 7th mm-hmm. and 4th. Um, you look at... I don't know, Cabrera Bello, 10th, 2nd and 1st. Jamie Donaldson, even two top 25s. Adriano, was 4th and 2nd. Like, yeah, you do, it's just yeah. consistently the same people over and over again. And if Mark Warren is going to back that up, then you're going to get eight places for someone that's, mm-hmm. you know, 150 to 1. I'm going to take a shot on him doing just that. He was 175 to 1 when yeah. I tweeted that yesterday. So mm-hmm. um, I like Mark Warren's kind of producer. Definitely mm-hmm. place, really. But we have seen these random kind of spot yeah. players as well. So yeah, exactly that. So um, final pick for you, Brad. I know we've, we've kind of gone back and forth a lot here um, on this event. But yeah, your final pick in yeah. the opening. So I've gone for Darius Van Drill at yep. 250 to 1, I think his best price is now. Let me know. 200 to 1 now, if you yep. can get eight places. Um, but yeah, he is. KLM misplaced his clubs last week, so he was having to play the first two rounds of Borough Clubs. 
which he was not happy about, of course. He shot 71 each round. Um, he got his clubs back by Monday, then closed a round of 64 at Carnoustie to finish tied 25, um, 25, 25th. So, yeah, yeah. love that. Um, and uh, he played in this event uh, the last couple of years. He finished 68th on his first try, uh, then 8th last year, opening with a round of 63. Um, he's made his last four cuts in Spain, not finishing worse than 37th. He also has a top 20 finish at Valderrama, which is encouraging to see. Uh, Two-time Challenge Tour winner. Um, he's actually come close to breaking through on the DP World Tour a couple of times. He's second at the European Open behind Armitage. Um, he lost out to Mick Viotzi at the Belgian Knockout. That's 2019. Um, he also has a decent record in Kenya over the years, so... I mean, it's no secret he likes the quirky sort of tree-lined track. Um, he has the ability to show up in birdie fests. Um, and he's currently outside the top 116, um, so he's in much need of a performance, um, which I like as extra motivation. Um, and I've backed him in both the normal outright market. Um, so at the time, that was like 300 to 1. Um, it's obviously coming quite a lot now, but... 200 to 1 now um, and then I've also backed him in the without Ram, Rose, Paul and Loughton market which Boyles and Betfred have priced up and that's at 150 to 1 so I think just go with that if you're going to back him um, yeah, I think and um, yeah I, I like him I really like him a lot as a long shot and I might also look to take him in the top 20 and 30 market as well yeah no I like it a lot I think I think as we've kind of said Already, this these core core signs. If someone has shown it in the past that they can play really well at this event, it seems to translate to exactly yeah. performances. And he is the guy that certainly can go and shoot a first round lead um, mm-hmm. at this type of event. And I never know quite what his winning credentials are, but you've already mentioned there he's had a couple of really close uh, shaves. So yeah surprisingly you don't feel like he has but then you look at his um he's actually has some really good finishes on the dp world tour um which you don't you don't i don't know you never look at the name and think he has do you know what i mean doesn't he's always he's always a big price like isn't he like he and and he's just so capable of shooting that low round and i think yeah look there's every chance that john rahm comes and wins this but also it feels like even though he played well at the Ryder cup it doesn't feel like he's been at his brilliant best for basically mm. since he won the masters right like i know he's had he's had flashes but like it feels like he's been in a little bit of transition he's been talking a lot uh more and kind of more. the problem is he probably doesn't have to be at his best to, no uh, he could probably be in this. Kind of third or fourth gear right like i i, I yeah. definitely can see that but um look it's a, it's a two yeah as you say you never know, you never know. Uh-huh. hopefully he's been out on the juice if he is just like completely over it i mean like He's, I mean, what did he do? He finished 17th that year, didn't he? And I think he he really blew up over the weekend. Like, I think he was actually second going into the weekend and just played poorly, 72-69. So maybe he just gets something like that where he's just a little bit fatigued. It's been a long season. You know he's playing here because he feels obligated to, not because he necessarily needs to or wants to. So um, I guess wants to because that's part of his obligation right to himself. But um there's no real need to at this point. So maybe he just has that kind of week where he feels good about the fact that he's giving back to the locals. He feels good that he's kind of channeling his Spanish roots. And if he wins, he wins, but he's not going to be too kind of pressed if he doesn't. So mm-hmm. it's weird when you've got a motivation like that, 
it's one of two ways, isn't it? The, the good either comes because you're so much better than everybody else and, and they win easily at two to one, or you can sit there and go, well, I don't want to back someone in that kind of frame of mind at two to one. So um, I guess it is if you beat John Rahm, you probably win this week. But um, I've, I've seen different favourites really struggle. So um, yeah. I'm happy to take them on with the people that we've mentioned. So <laughs> um, I will just very quickly summarise the players that I'm betting. Uh, so that's Yannick Paul at 25 to 1. Uh, Henny Dupassi now at 50 to 1. Grant Forrest 66 to 1. Jeff Winter 100 to 1. And Mark Warren 150 to 1. Um, I think you can get seven or eight places about all of those picks. Um, Jason has gone with Antoine Rosner, Ewan Ferguson, Jeff Winter, all without Rahm and all in the kind of top 10s and top 20s. And then mm-hmm. Brad, your three selections for us in that. I've gone with Yannick Poole, uh, 25 to 1, Connor Syme, 50 to 1, and Darius Andrew, uh, 200 to 1. And that's all with eight places as well. Yeah, like normally I save those kind of recaps right for the end, but I think sometimes we we kind of go to recap the the picks at the end of two tournaments it's probably better to kind of break it up and, and yeah i like that between. so um a good way of doing it i think and a good segue now into the shriners open which i love this event and i don't i don't really know why yeah. I, I think i think the main reason like i know a lot of people don't like birdie fests but i'm okay with birdie fests if an event kind of knows what it is and doesn't try to be anything yeah, else. And no, just, exactly. no, we know exactly what's in store this week, yeah. don't we? <laughs> like, you have to make 24 birdies to win this event. 23 under, 23 under, 24 under, 24 under have won the last uh, four years. Um, would you say there's a slight misconception, Brad, in that because there's so much room off the tee, people will kind of lean towards big hitters, whereas if you look at kind of the people that have had success oh. here in the past, like shorter hitters have prospered. Well, it's that altitude, so I think it's reached everything's uh, you know, the shorter hitters are hitting it further than ever. Yeah. Um yeah, all the par fires are reachable for everyone. So yeah, if the wind doesn't blow, as you said, it's just gonna be an absolute birdie fest. Yeah. And Absolutely. just got a whole putts. Just got a whole putts. You do. Um I think look, I, I was interested I was intrigued actually of how much T to green overall mattered. Like I think four of the five uh, recent winners have been inside the top three for tee to green. It was only Kevin Nar that kind of won it all with putting. But, like, you do need to just set out those quality birdie looks more often than not. But as you said, it will come down to the people that can convert them, even if the putting suggests that – even if the putting stats suggest that you don't need to be number one in putting, like, you need to make a fair share and you need yeah. to set up. So, um, good mix of player there, obviously – Ju Young Kim, 12 to 1 favourite to defend his title. Ludwig Aberg, 12 to 1 as well. I understand Kim being favourite. He's coming back to defend. He's he's showed signs of being healthy since the injury at the Open. And you can't do anything with Ludwig Aberg, like the way he's playing no. and finishing second um, after the Ryder Cup, right? But I actually think this is an event where you can take on the favourites quite nicely. Um, Me too, yeah. I thought both Siwoo Kim and Cam Davis were a little bit too short behind those two players, so I didn't look at those. So I think this really intriguing range now um, is the one that we'll come straight on to. We are all all in on Tom Hoagie. Um, I think everyone on golf Twitter is on Tom Hoagie. The whole world is on Tom Hoagie, so I don't think you really need (laughs) us to tell you. Hopefully no one tells him. Um, yeah, I, the thing is, I think Tom Hoagie is a bit of a gambling man himself, so I wonder if he might have a little bit of <laughs> on him. 
Um, but yeah, Tom Hoagie, uh, he's just shown these kind of, I will give my reasoning, despite the fact that it's very obvious, like he's just shown signs of life again. And it, and, and it had been a while, really. Like I thought he was the type of player, having spoken to him, that once he got that win, he would really kick on. And and he's that, he's one of the case studies that I've looked at and just thought, you know what, I don't want to say that about players anymore. Like, you, you know, you hear this kind of thing of like, oh, once they win one, the floodgates will open. Like, I just can't be bothered to make those kind of predictions anymore because it doesn't come around. But yeah. like, I know Hoagie's probably not the best person to hold that to, but like <laughs> he was 19th at the Scottish Open where he was 10th going into the final round. Again, we've already mentioned how strong that field was. 20th at the uh, 3M Open where he was generally pretty good all week. He was 43rd at the St. Jude, which wasn't great, but there was actually some good round mixed into there. And he finished the BMW Championship with a 65, didn't quite make it to Eastlake. Um, <coughs> it has to be said he was pretty poor at the Irish Open, um, weekend rounds of 77 77, but then bounced back with 68 68 at Wentworth. And then last week, Brad, uh, second round 65, kind of mm-hmm. vaulted him inside the top 20 at the Sanderson Farms. And when you look at how good he's been at this golf course, uh, it's very hard to ignore. Fourth, 14th, 24th, 7th. And his strokes gain approach numbers are, are what they need to be. Fourth and fifth, the last two starts. Um, and 11th and 8th in Tees Green. So once you see that from Tom Hoagie, once you get him back into familiar territory, I think you just have to pull the trigger. No, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. And I mean, when Hoagie is at his best, his approach players without doubt is best asset. And his last two appearances um, at the BMW PGA and last week at Sanderson Farms, he was ranked in the top five for approach play. So, yeah, I mean, it's all signs that he's, as you said, showing serious signs of life again. Great uh, course history. He loves desert golf, runner up and fantastic record at the Amex. And yeah, I just hope he doesn't feel the weight of uh, golf Twitter on his shoulders this week because yeah. I, I really think everyone really likes his chances. And although his price has shortened up, I, I, I thought he was very big at 50 to 1. 40 to 1, I thought, was still a big price. I, I would have probably priced him at 30 to 1, 33 to 1. I think I wouldn't go lower than 30 I, to 1. I wouldn't go lower than 30 to 1 because it just doesn't appeal that much. But like, no, no, that's what I mean. I, That'd be my I limit. Would, yeah, I would not be surprised if. Like if I woke up on Monday and he was priced to see with Kevin Cam Davis, like I see absolutely nothing between him and Cam Davis's chances. Like Cam Davis seems to get this kind of edge of just being really popular and stats kind of pop up, and yeah. I don't really know why he deserves to be short on him. And and I guess you can probably level the same thing to as much as I like Shen Composon this week. Like I think the like price is, is crazy to be honest, but it's to be honest, that's a testament to how well he's been playing. Yeah, well, it just doesn't look right. No, I I agree, and I think Schenk is one of those players that's definitely ready to break through. I've been on him a couple of times recently, but I've got one later in the market who I think is basically not the same player because it's really lazy, but like mm-hmm. a similar type of profile. So I'll come on to that shortly. Um, I'm going to stick with JJ Spawn. He's come in. So basically, Hoagie was 50 to 1, Spawn was 40 to 1. And I was really happy about both. Mm. And now both 33 to 1. Um, but Spawn's just been sneakily good for a while now. Um, and I've been kind of waiting for it to, a bit like Henny Duplessis, really, waiting for it to kind of develop into something that was actionable. Um, 33rd at Rocket Mortgage, 10th at the Barracuda. Uh, 37th at the 3M, where he's 10th at the halfway stage. Um, 24th at St. Jude, didn't advance any further in the FedEx Cup playoffs. But then 
comes right out to start the season with a length at the Fortinet. And when I think about the kind of full series and, and these type of events, JJ Spawn just immediately flicks to my mind from years past. And his, his form at this event kind of backs it up. He was 10th um, on his second start here where he was actually um, the 36th hole leader and the 54th hole leader despite a Saturday 73 um, and then just faded away. He was then 15th the following year, missed the cut and then finished 35th. And then last year finished 15th again with a final round 64, opening round 66. Like, he is the type of person that actually, when you look at his early career, before he had that, I think it was diabetes diagnosis, like mm-hmm. he or misdiagnosis, which is what caused him all the problems. Like when you look at his early career on the BJ Tour and his latter career after he got that first win, like all he's really ever done in his PJ Tour career is contend. And yeah. he did struggle for a little bit at the start of this season, but somehow in some way he's come roaring back again. And I actually really expect Spawn to kick on and, and get another win. Um, contrary to what I've just said about I don't want to make bold predictions that people are going to open the floodgates like I think Spawn can win one more time so that's that's yeah. that's the bold take I'm making but like he's fifth in this field over the last 15 weeks in tee to green um, and he is ninth in strokes game approach so look he's not been the standout in either of them but in terms of field strength and who he's playing against he's been really good so really like yeah. Joe Spawn and Tom Hogan that 33 to 1 range to to take on the favourites. Um, yeah, like Jason's gone with Andrew Putnam, who I admit I did take a second look at. Had a good look at him as well, yeah. Yeah, it's weird with Putnam. Like, it feels like he's had a couple of opportunities recently and not necessarily built on them. Um, when he was widely available at 40 to 1 and 45 to 1, I thought, okay, maybe he's the one in this kind of price range that you do need to go to. He's subsequently shortened up to kind of even 25 to 1 in the place, which kind of makes him a little bit opposable but there is still 35 to 1 8 places there's still 40 to 1 so if you, if you like those prices with the, the place turns and absolutely understand that i understand the people that will be going to mark hubbard um i can't do it because he never seems to live up to expectations um but the next one for me and the one that i was saying brad that i think is very similar to adam schenk in terms of profile and and where they're at in their careers Sam Ryder is 66 to 1. Um, I always kind of thought it was going to be California that he was going to break through in. I backed him at the Fortinet. He finished 14th, which was fine. He was sixth at the halfway there. Well, I was on him that week as well. Yeah, like strong driver of the golf ball, which maybe is going to get negated here. But overall, he's just been really solid. He's 25th uh, in 2022-2023 in birdie or better percentage, which makes him one of the best birdie makers in this field. Four top eight finishes last season uh best ever fedex cup finish for him all in all here he's shot six rounds of 66 or better um he's finished third at this golf course he's been 18th at this golf course but he was actually um you know better place than that i just think Ryder, like um shank is just ready to kind of win um and then this type of field and Interesting enough, like nine, I think it was nine of the last twelve um, had already won on on the PJ Tour before playing here, uh, before winning here. Which actually, no, it's twelve of the last twelve. So twelve of the last twelve had already won on the PJ Tour, including Tom Kim, who had obviously just won at the Wyndham. So mm-hmm. it kind of suggests you need to have got a win. And my theory with that, Brad, is that it's so hard to win for the first time. It's really hard to win for the first time and you've got to put the 
kind of pedal down and, and make birdies on the final round. Like if yeah. I go back to when Ryder had a chance before uh, at this golf course when he finished third. Uh, sorry, when he finished third, he shot a 62. But when he was fourth going into the final round the following year, he shot a 73. And then even last year, like he was ninth going into the weekend and finished, you know, 70, 67. It feels like he's been kind of there and able to do it, but just not kicked on. And it was actually Adam Schenk who was the 54-hour leader two years ago and then just finished third because of final round 70. Like, it feels like that type of player, that's why we're kind of seeing not people that are prolific winners, but people that have just done it before because you have to get used to shooting a 64 in contention um that's it yeah that's it in a nutshell and that, as you said that 62 when he did finish third yeah like that's how he's gonna, probably going to win isn't he if he's yeah. like uh about four or five shots off the pace and he goes and posts a number and then that's probably is the without him you know clubhouse lead yeah um and that's just until you've done it that's really the first way to sort of get your first win unless you're built of something different which a lot of players are but yeah, when it's gone gone on for so long for players like Ryder, Schenk, who have had their chances, it's tough, isn't it? When you've got that um, two-hole lead and you think, Christ, um, how am I going to win this? You know, you overthink it. So, yeah. I, I think just for him, like someone like him and Schenk and all that stuff, I didn't think there was much between Schenk and Ryder in terms of like winning credentials and and upper limits and profiles and and he's double the price so that was kind of what i looked at for him there are two players i got a very keen eye on for the season ahead um mm. matthew neesmith for you brad um i know he's yes. coming a decent bit on the board 66 to 1 now um mm-hmm. still happy with that price I'm, I'm very happy with that price yeah. yeah yeah i am um obviously it's a proper horses for courses selection yeah um incredible record at this course over the years 18th 8th 14th from runner-up last year and four appearances obviously that captures the eye immediately and without being lazy I obviously have to dig a little bit deeper um and yeah he was coming into this event of a ninth place last year at the Sanderson Farms he was in decent form um and he closed with a 64 in his fourth round at Sanderson Farms so almost telegraphed the second place finish there in some aspect um yeah. But in previous years, he's come into the event of two missed cuts and a 19th place finish. So he still shows up no matter the form, um, which screams to me that he's a course. Uh, it clearly suits his eye, gets the best out of him. He's going to show, show up um, whatever happens, hopefully. Last week, he finished 25th. Um, he started off strong, round of 66. Uh, but yeah, he fizzled out over the weekend. Um, but the signs were there. Like he hit his irons quite well, gained over 2.1 strokes and approach. Um, and I just thought, given his record here and his promising enough performance last week, he'd be a little bit shorter. I thought he might open up at 66s and sort of shorten down to 50s, um, possibly, which seems crazy for someone who hasn't won, but he obviously has threatened. Um, at this event and other places in the past um, but yeah he also he's got a bit of form in the desert tied seventh at the Phoenix Open top 20 finish at the Amex so yeah he undoubtedly loves this type of golf um, and yeah he hasn't broke through another one that hasn't broke through and if there is going to be a spot surely this is going to be it so yeah um, I really like him. Yeah I think that he has definitely shown signs of life of late a little bit like JJ Spawn in the sense that he had a you know tough year 
I would say. And then he's mm. now sort of finished 35th, 28th, you know, made a couple of cuts and then finished 25th last week. You just, you want to see someone that's played well in either the Fortinet or the Sanderson Farms, I think, to give you a little bit of kind of hope yeah. before coming into this. And then if you've got the course horns back out, which again, a little bit like, I guess, what we just looked at in Spain, like, course one does stand up here for for years um so yeah can't argue a lot with Neesmith I thought the price was a little bit short um but yeah I think I think after digging and you start seeing that he does just show up no matter what form he's in and then and then obviously seeing that he actually did play fairly well last week well well enough in my eyes I think that's when I feel like the price is actually decent like when you look at it, when you look at it like that, that's when in my eyes I sort of, because at first I might have had the same perspective. Yeah. I looked at, it, I was like, well, I wasn't sure, but then you look a bit deep and you think actually there's a reason why he's that price, and I actually think he could be a little bit shorter. And, um, and, and that's got, sort of my approach to it. And you've got so many players in front of him who, all right, they don't look out of place, but you've got Nikolai Hoygaard at you know 45 to yeah. one best price who's coming off the Ryder Cup. You've got Adam Svensson who you never know what's going to do. You've got Garrett Higo, very volatile, not been great this goal, of course. Davis Thompson, a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. Lucas Herbert, Ben Griffin, Patrick Rogers. Like, it's not like there's a load of quality players ahead of him that he should be double the price. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's actually, um, you know, hard, I think, to quantify what's a great price in these type of events when it's such a short period of time that we've seen them since the Tour Championship. So, um, and and this is, this is what happened with here. So, um, my next pick, Chad Ramey, who, as I was typing him up on Odds Checker yesterday, he was 110 to 1 when I was writing him up. And by the time I came to post it, I had to edit it because he was 90 to 1. Um, he's, 80s. Podcast, he's now 80s. Uh, I actually really like him as well this week. Yeah. I think he's really good. Yeah. Like eight places. I, I just think Ramey's been a little bit overlooked in the fact that he's made eight of his last nine cuts. And I, I was talking to Andy Lack about this yesterday on the podcast. like. Wasn't Ramey like really hyped up when he came on the PJ Tour for the first time? Like people were really keen on him. Like he'd only yeah. won like once um, on the Corn Ferry Tour, but I felt like it, there were people were just really keen on him for some reason. Maybe I. Yeah, I, I was on his win for the for the um, on, on the Corn Ferry yeah. Tour, so I was one of them people probably. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he was really high on him, and and rightly so. Like he came out and played pretty well, I think, in his first kind of few months. And when you look at it now, like he he got pretty much better all week at the Rocket Mortgage, finished 17th. He was fine at the John Deere until the final round. He was 23rd going into the final round. He was 14th for the Barbasol after the first six holes and then fell away. 17th for the Barracuda. Um, 53rd at the 3M Open, but actually started pretty well. And then you just look after that really extended break after not making the playoffs. He finishes 19th for the Fortinet, where he was 14th going into the final round, then 16th last week. He's just playing really nicely. And then when you look at... Um, his ball striker numbers, he was fourth in approach last week and he was sixth in tee to green. Add to the fact that I think he's just a great full series player. And then you look at his, his two efforts here, 14th on debut. He's actually the 36 hole leader, 63, 65 to open, 69 on Saturday and then fell away with a 72 on Sunday. Obviously a bit green. That would have been his first season. And then last year, even before that Corrales win that you that you mentioned earlier, like he opened 67, 66 here to, to sit sixth after round two. And then a pair of 69s just meant he wasn't really taking steps forward. But 14th and 28th and two starts here. 
off the back of really strong current form, great ball striking week last week. I think Chad Ramey's a good price. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people will look at, as I've just said about Matthew Neesmith being a bit short for me at 66, I think people would say the same about Ramey. And it's definitely the, the lower limit of what I want to do um, because he opened up at 110. But I still think it's fine. Like, I still think there's there's enough value in there to go with it. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I absolutely like him this week as well. And then... Next up for me, and also for uh, Jason, was um, Eric Van Royen, who I think is going to be pretty popular this week. He's 100 to 1, um, eight places, but he's another one just in really solid form. He had that sixth place finish, um, didn't he, at the Barracuda, I think it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's been playing well for quite a while now. He has. And then I think it was like the Scottish Open, he'd shot like a second round 63 to be in a mix and then fell away. Um, and then eighth at Crown Sercier, which I wouldn't necessarily think he was going to be great at. Sixteenth at the Irish Open, so a good productive kind of trip overseas. And then thirtieth and fifteenth is or sixteenth the last two starts. He's just been really solid, um, and the ball striking has kind of backed that up. Eighteenth, thirteenth, fifth, and sixth his last four starts in strokes gain approach. Twenty-first, thirty-fourth, fourteenth, eleventh in tee to green. So. He just rated out really nicely for me on tour tips in, in what I was looking for. And I like that Barracuda thing, like the fact that we know he can go low in contention. You have to do that mm. to win the Barracuda. So uh liked everything that I saw about Eric Van Royen um, at 100 to 1. I didn't have any other picks after that. So I've gone with Hoagie, Spawn, Ryder, Ramey, Van Royen. I think that's probably enough for me. But mm-hmm. the last one you're going to put up, I gave a hard look at because because I just he was someone that I was really high on last season after he got that win I thought mm. you know he's going to evolve he's going to be a really good player he believes in himself now we're going to see how good he is and his caddy always says about how good he is and how he just needs to believe in himself um, talk to us about Joel Damon and why he can win the Shriners yeah again similar to what we've been saying about a few of these players showed signs of life last week at the sands of farm um tied 13th and it should have probably been better closer around of 71 which was his worst round of the week slipped down the leaderboard um as we were saying he's he's really struggled this year missing more cuts than he has made yeah. we all know what he's capable of at his best um we've said it on here before tom haven't we his motivation self-belief has always seemed an issue i think we said that before full yeah. swing series and yeah. then he he went out and confirmed that um which by the way he was an absolute delight to watch on that it's, it's Star, yeah. yeah it's absolutely impossible not to root for him um anyway i feel as though this is a good spot for him he hit the ball well off the tee last week gaining nearly two strokes and was sipping driving actually not that that's important here but it's good to see he's hitting it well his irons weren't great but he did hit plenty of greens um he ranks 22nd for greens in regulation just not in the right areas but as a scottsdale resident he's he's well climatized to this type of golf um before last week his um most recent top 10 well, I suppose he didn't finish top 10 last week, but he, uh, but he came at the Barracuda uh, Championship, um, which is another course uh, played at altitude, which we see here. Um, he's played at TPC Summerlin uh, six times in the past. He's missed the cut only once, which was his first visit. And his best finish of ninth came in 2019, where he carded rounds of 64 and 65, which is 
absolutely needed here. So it's good to see that he is capable of going as low as that. Um, yeah, I can't say I'm overly confident in his chances as he's shown zero consistency this year. Like as at top 10 at the Barracuda, you, you could have said, why hasn't he gone on and done better from there? You know, so it's hard to know. But yeah, last one, last week, sorry, might be a sign that things are about to change. He's in the triple digits on a course that should suit in my eyes. And he's I think he's definitely worth a pop as as we both said, we know the upside. We know the upside with him. He's a quality player. Yeah, I think I think with Damon, it's like one of those ones where he's he's had the odd flash, isn't he, to remind us that he's still still got it, and he's just I don't know whatever it is. I, I, he became a new dad, didn't he? And I wonder if that just like not took his toll on him because that's a terrible thing to say when you have a, a new child. But like <laughs> it like it's just distracted him, and rightly so, right? Like I think that, and he's always been a player that's kind of struggled to really commit himself. I think to the game of golf, like it doesn't take a lot to be off really like and then all of a sudden he kind of puts the effort in I think the fact that he played well last week and now comes to a golf course that he has liked in the past is gonna be a real benefit like I don't I don't think he's had like back-to-back good starts that that would really yeah. play in that's what I said like so. there's no confidence not, not not no confidence but yeah. obviously you've got to have some confidence but uh, but that's why if he was like 66 to 1 or 80 yeah, to 1 you'd, it, just, you'd, yeah. you'd pass it but because that's what he's, he's triple digits, isn't he? So yeah, and I just I just think like it's the perfect storm for him. Like okay, he gets to come back to Vegas whilst he's in form. He's played here six times and made the cut five times. He he can pretty much expect to get through the cut, and then it's just whether he mm. can find that low round that we know he can. So um, yeah, absolutely on board with um, with Joel Damon. Harry Hall's great here, eighth and fifteenth. Yeah, been on in both years, especially the first time. I think he placed at four hundred to one. Yeah, huge price, wasn't he? Incredible. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was. He was popular because he's a UNL. Is he UNLV guy? Isn't he? Yeah, and he's a member at TPC Summerlin as well. Yeah. So. He he was all right at the start of the Fortinet. Open for sixty six to be third after round one. Uh, was eleventh after round two, and then just fell away. So. Yeah. he's not he's someone pretty, that's been pretty dreadful last week because yeah i don't think as i don't as we said i don't think it well he we weren't that bad but his numbers weren't very good um I, either way i just think it's one of those ones where like they know they can take a shorter price than harry hall like if it was any other golf course if you saw it's a 50 to 1 it's just the oh, so yeah, 100%, uh, yeah. that was why i kind of felt like i was taking the bait and, and didn't want to fall in the trap so i didn't but he was someone i looked at um yeah. Shout out, I guess, to Lexi Thompson, who's playing this event. First uh, female yeah. player to play on the PJ Tour since 2018. Don't uh, give her much of a chance, bless her. But, no, uh, they don't. No, I thought the, the make the cut number was quite big. Um, mm. But it probably won't happen. Like we, we've seen in the past, like how this one really goes. Um, but yeah. I hope she plays well. Like if anyone, I guess, is kind of suited to the PJ Tour from the LPGA, she's obviously pretty long off the tee and can kind of yeah, yeah. end up with, right. with this kind of altitude thing so maybe it's the perfect storm to mm-hmm. to make that work this week but um yeah worth the yeah. shout she's here um so i'm going to summarize my picks again as i did um for the spanish event so i've gone with tom hoagie and jj spawn both at 33 to 1 um both eight places for that um i'm going with sam Ryder, 66 to 1 i think you can get eight places on better 365 for that if not you can get 60 to 1 eight places which is absolutely fine as well uh chad ramey 80 to 1 eight places on coral uh eric van Rooyen, 100 to 1 uh, eight places jason has gone 
with uh, Tom Hogan at 33 to 1, uh, Andrew Putnam 40 to 1, Eric Van Royen 100 to 1. He's actually put Chesson Hadley as a first round leader as a pick as well, uh, which I mean, I, I don't need much encouragement to go with Chesson Hadley first round leader. I think I do it about three or four times a year. So I'll probably just follow him in on that. Um, I'll have a look at that myself over the next day or two. Um, Brad, your picks for these Shriners? I've gone with Tom Hoagie, like everyone else, at 33 to 1. And that's about 365, I think, eight places. And then Matthew Neesmith, uh, 66 to 1. I think eight places available with bet 365. Um, yep. And then I've gone with Joel Damon. And that, I think, the best price now is 110 to 1, eight places sky bet. Is there any player that you just worry you're going to miss out? Like, for me, like, I love Alex Smalley and he feels like um, yeah. Babe Simpson reincarnated. I think JT Poston is someone that's going to play well this week, but couldn't really get to either of them at 30 and 40 to 1. Um, so I don't think I'd be too upset. But like, is there any player that you'd be really like? I actually had a good look at Lucas Herbert this week. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, not from a statistical standpoint, uh, but I just he's played well here. Um, and I think he's, he's done well the last couple of weeks. Um, or last week especially, and I just feel as though he can be the type to just show up in an event like this. Um, but I thought at 50s he he was short enough. I think he was 45s when I was looking, so I was like, if it had been like maybe 60s, I might have entertained it. But yeah, I did think he was a little bit short, so I, I, I missed him out for that reason. And um, other than that, I, I, I'm trying to think who else I left out. I mean, I did uh, Harry Hall would obviously hurt because, as I said, I've been on in the last couple of years. So that would be probably the biggest stinger of them all. Um, so yeah, I'd have to probably say Harry Hall. Yeah, no, fair. I think it's um, interesting with Herbert. I think both him and Bezweden have both got like 20th place finishes here and both played all right last week. Like, mm. so they're, they're going to be those top. I mean, Bezweden out played better than the right. He finished sixth, right? But like, yes. I think they're similar type of players that they've. They're really good when they get back over to the DB World Tour, but haven't quite... I mean, Herbert's obviously won on the PJ Tour. Um, was it the Bermuda that he won? But, like, was, yeah, I think generally Bermuda, speaking, yeah. like, he's got this kind of elite length, right, and, and a good scrambling game, but he's so hard to kind of yeah. rely on, um, Herbert. And you don't yeah, his, his iron play is, is not good for the most part. It's, uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a grinder. Like, he's someone that you really like, and maybe not in a birdie fest. Yeah, um, but at the same time, he can go stupidly low. So yeah, it's, it's he's a tough one. I think can go and shoot the 63, but he can't go and shoot 63, 65, 65. Yeah. Like he can, he can go 63, 71, and mm. that's kind of what he does. Um, mm. So yeah, interesting little uh, chat there at the end. Um, I think that's it, Brad. I think I think we've yeah. we've summarised those two events nicely. Probably spent a little bit longer than I expected to do on both of them, so that's nice. Um, mm-hmm. Good to always check golf, or, especially after a week off. It's nice to, to kind of get back yeah, into it. Nice, um, again, just want to send our sort of condolences to Matt and and just our thoughts with him to let him know that that we're here. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, he's listening and and kind of get some relief from this while we talk a bit of golf. So, um, hopefully, Jason will be with us again next week. Um, Hopefully. What, what tournaments have we got next week? We've got the we have, tournaments. I'll put you on the spot. We've got the Zozo next week, haven't we? And uh, oh, and yeah, yeah. 
And then the Andalusa Masters, I believe. Yeah, which is not a Valderrama match to... Uh, obviously that sucks, yeah. Play. I'm not going to enjoy that anymore. That was, like, <laughs> that was my favourite on... Oh, I suppose after <laughs> Leopard Creek, that was my favourite. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Cool. Well, Brad, maybe. I'll let you go. Uh, really enjoyed chatting golf with you again as ever. And hopefully we get ourselves a winner this week.